this series, we've been uh, just trying to capture some of the things that really marked the early church, some of the things that, the characteristics that defined the early church and the early believers, you know, that marked by the proclamation of the gospel, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, a, a reverence for the Lord, the fear of the Lord operating in the lives of his people. Um, a sense of community. And also, as we looked at last time, uh, suffering and persecution. Now that was an element that God really worked through and used to bring about his purposes and plans and the spread of the gospel. And as we've looked through this series in Acts so far, our heart has been and our prayer has been that it's not just ancient history or something that we read and think, oh, wasn't that wonderful, amazing, inspired by that, but it's actually something that we can grab hold of today. It's an invitation for us as his people to step into, to grab hold of, to walk in today. And this morning, what I want to spend a little bit of time just looking at and unpacking is how the early church was a church that was moving forward. It was a church that was taking ground from the enemy. It was a church that was advancing. Perhaps we could say it had, the early believers had this upwards focus in that they were, they were focused upon the Lord. They kept the main thing, the main thing. We could say that they had this onwards focus, if you like, that sense of not just keeping, them to, keeping things to themselves, not just staying comfortable and complacent, doing church, but, but moving forward, really seeking to take back ground from the enemy. And we could also say that they had this outwards focus, if you like, looking out beyond themselves to spread the gospel, to proclaim who Jesus was to, to the world and regions around them so that the kingdom of God would advance, so that the gospel would spread. So I'm hoping we'll see that in the passage today, and I'm going to pray just as we start. So thank you, Lord, that we can open up your word today. Thank you for its power, for its life, Lord God, and I ask today, Lord, that it would be living and active in our hearts, that your truth, Lord, would penetrate our hearts. God, that you would renew our minds, Lord God that you would challenge us, convict us, inspire us, encourage us, Lord, to live our lives wholeheartedly for you, Lord, and to, to grab hold of this call, Lord, for us as your people, for us as, as, as your church, Lord, to be advancing, to be moving forward and taking that ground from the enemy. And so I ask that you would come and breathe life, Holy Spirit, to these words I speak. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So where we left it last time was just at the very start of Acts chapter 8. And just by way of a very quick overview, this persecution had arisen as a result of uh, Stephen's stoning. A great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem on that day. And there's a, a brief inter introduction to Saul who became Paul. And we learn, verse 3, it says that Saul was ravaging the church ravaging the church. And this word ravaging here, the, uh, the Greek word literally means, was used to describe a wild animal mangling its prey, tearing it to shreds. That's kind of this picture of what Saul was all about here at this point. He was going from house to house, dragging away believers, committing them to prison. His heart and desire was to ruin 
to devastate, to tear the church to shreds, to treat it shamefully. But this great persecution that arose against the church was indeed a catalyst for the spread of the gospel. And that how God used this persecution, he used the suffering of his people to victoriously achieve and outwork his plans and his purposes. So it's against this backdrop that we're going to read this morning from verse 4 of chapter 8. And this is what it says. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Jump down with me to verse 26. This is going back to Philip, and it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And of course, he was reading Isaiah 53, this messianic uh, prophecy about Jesus, the suffering servant. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So quite an amazing account here of Philip and all that he was doing, all that he was up to. And really, this chapter 8 of the book of Acts is quite a significant chapter or this, this juncture point in the book of Acts. Because prior to this point, the events and the things that were happening were mainly happening in and around Jerusalem. There was a certain, I guess, rhythm, if you like, of, of church life in the lives of the early believers. They were gathering constantly in the temple, seeking the Lord. They were sharing their possessions with one another. There was not a needy person among them. 
The Bible says there was great grace upon them all. There was this sense of being in a certain rhythm and perhaps being just comfortable with where things were at. But then here in in Acts chapter 8, there's a bit of a a shift in the narrative, isn't there? Things start to happen. Persecution happens. And so the believers start to, to go beyond just the walls of Jerusalem. And we know that in, earlier in Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus himself gives this call, this mission to his disciples. It wasn't just for things to stay contained, for, for things to be packaged nice and neatly just in Jerusalem, but he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, yes, but in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so in this chapter, we see that the, the church is starting to to reach out, starting to expand its horizons, if you like. And so Philip, he finds himself in Samaria. The believers are scattered and he finds himself in Samaria, home to the Samaritans. And we know just by a little bit of background that the Jews and the Samaritans did not get on. There was long-standing issues there and tensions and they despised one and another. But here, Philip finds himself in Samaria. And this Philip, of course, is not one of the apostles, but one of the seven referred to in Acts chapter 6. And he was described as a man of good repute, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wisdom. But he was appointed, this task he was given was to wait on tables, to distribute food. And really, we could say that he was perhaps one of the first to grab hold of and obey the command of Jesus to take the gospel to be his witnesses to all people. And really, I think this chapter should encourage us with what the Lord can do in and through someone who is devoted and willing to obey wholeheartedly. He brings the gospel to this entire region of Samaria. There's this great rejoicing that happens because of the kingdom of God breaking out in that place. And then in the, the account of the Ethiopian, he brings the gospel to this Ethiopian eunuch, this important court official, And scholars and and history um, says and believes that this this person took the gospel back to Ethiopia and just began to spread the good news of Jesus there to evangelize that particular nation. So the early church was a church that was moving forward and advancing and taking ground from the enemy. And God's heart and his purpose and plan was that believers were a big part of that. And as we look at Philip account here and others, of course, throughout the book of Acts. They weren't uh, shrinking back or being passive. Philip was bold in his witness. He was faithful in his obedience. He was living authentically and displaying Jesus, displaying the real deal. He was just one man, yet God used him powerfully to impact entire regions and even a nation. And so we can read this account, and it's exciting It's inspiring. It's almost like a movie, isn't it, where he's kind of going around from place to place. But we can read that and go, well, what's what's the application for us? What can we grab hold of this morning? And so what I desire to hone in on today, what I feel the Lord's put on my heart, is this. How do we as his people contribute to his church, the church of Jesus Christ, moving forward and taking back ground from the enemy? Because as we see in this passage, it's, It's not just a a select few, the important people, if you like, the apostles going out and doing all the stuff. Yes, they were doing lots of stuff, don't get me wrong. 
But it wasn't just limited to them. Philip was a waiter. He was in charge of distributing food. It wasn't just for the pastors and the leaders, for those who were perhaps called to a you know, ministry of some sort, but there's this sense of all of us grabbing hold of what God's heart is, all of us contributing to his mission and his call, giving God our yes, wherever it is that he has placed us, and allowing him to work in us and through us for his glory. So how do we be the Phillips of our time? A few things I just want to encourage us in this morning. First of all, we live with faithfulness and steadfastness to God's call and God's mission. God's people are not called to to shrink back or to retreat or to be passive in watching life go by, wishfully hoping that God would, would do something. God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, as it says in 2 Timothy 1.7. He's given us a, a spirit of, of love and power and sound mind. And so his desire, I believe, is that we would partner with him with what he is wanting to do. I love what it says in verse 4 of Acts chapter 8. It said, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. This persecution that arose in Jerusalem turned everything upside down. Everything had changed. They were scattered. They were driven away. Everything was different. And even though they were scattered, even though they'd been thrust out of their comfort zones with what they were familiar with, what they were used to, they went about fulfilling their purpose and their calling and the mission that God had given them. They went about doing what God had called them to do with steadfast purpose. They went about preaching the word. I feel like perhaps at times our natural human tendency is towards being comfortable, being in our comfort zone. We all like that, don't we? We like curling up on the couch or wherever it is and being comfortable. But when we're comfortable and complacent, the enemy doesn't really need to worry in that place. And the mission of the early church and our mission today is not to stay comfortable and complacent, but to be his witnesses. And Philip began to proclaim Christ where he was scattered, right where he was, out of his comfort zone, he began to proclaim Christ. And when the people of Samaria heard the message, the truth of the gospel, when they saw the signs and the wonders that he was performing, that confirmed and validated the message as Jesus had promised in Mark 16, there was a great harvest. There was a demonstration of the kingdom of God and there was the resultant life and joy and freedom in that place. And I pray that as his people, we would grab hold of this afresh today. That whether we feel scattered and tossed about by the wind and the waves, whether we feel as though we're out of our comfort zone a little bit, whether we feel we're outside what we're familiar with, wherever God has placed us, whether we feel ill-equipped even to do what we feel him calling us to do, wherever it is that God has placed you for this time And this season, right now, let me encourage us to go about living with faithfulness 
and with steadfastness to God's call and to His mission. We may find ourselves in a place, I don't really know what's going on. I feel uncomfortable. I'm not even sure. But you know what? I'm going to set my heart upon the Lord and set my heart to be faithful to God's call and mission, to go about doing the work that He's called us to do, proclaiming the Word, proclaiming who Jesus is. Let me also encourage us this morning, let's not grow weary, for there will be a harvest if we don't give up. Don't shrink back or throw in the towel, but rather take heart this morning. There will be a harvest as we set our hearts upon Christ, as we display Him to the world around us, as we have that steely tenacity and resolve for God's kingdom and God's glory. If we think about a military operation, and uh, I, I won't claim to be overly across all that you know, happens in military operations and things like that, not an expert by any means, but what I do know is that when there's a military operation or a strategic battle or whatever in war or in conflict, the purpose of that military operation is not to retreat, is it? It's not to shrink back. The purpose of a military operation is to move forward. It's to take ground from the enemy. But for that to happen effectively, each person involved in that particular operation needs to be steadfast, needs to stay at their post, needs to fulfill their role and the mission that they have. If people, you know, all of a sudden give up or don't do that, then the whole mission can fall apart. Whereas if everyone stays at their post, whether they're in heavy conflict, whether the conditions are not ideal, if they be steadfast and look to carry out that mission, that's when there's success. That's when the things move forward and ground is taken from the enemy. So as Philip, as we see in the life of Philip, the life of the early church, let's be a people who are steadfast and faithful in God's call and mission for our lives. Secondly, this morning, we live authentically and clearly display the real deal. Let me explain what I mean by that. Verse, uh, verse 9 onwards. Philip, he's been in Samaria. He's being faithful to God's call and mission there in that place. He's starting to see some fruit. He's starting to see the kingdom break through. He's starting to move forward in that place, taking back ground from the enemy. There's people that are being delivered, people that are being healed and set free. There's great joy that's arising in that particular place. And then in verse 9 to 13, we read this clash of two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, the counterfeit and the real deal. And the counterfeit, the definition of something that is counterfeit is this. It's to imitate something authentic with the intent to steal, destroy, or replace the original. Its purpose is to deceive individuals into believing the fake is of equal or greater value than the real thing. I read that and I feel like that sounds like just the sort of thing the enemy loves to do. The counterfeit trying to do a cheap imitation of the real deal. 
So Simon the sorcerer, he had amazed the people of Samaria with his magic. And of course, he was energized, empowered by Satan, and his power was used to magnify himself, saying that he was something great. And there's this clash with Philip, who of course was empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, and that was used to glorify Christ. But we live in a world where people are searching, hungry for, longing for the truth, longing for the real deal, I believe. And unfortunately, so often, we can look in all the wrong places for what is real, what will bring meaning, what will bring purpose, what we feel is truth. But really, it's a, so often a, a counterfeit that imitates something authentic, but deceives individuals into believing that fake is of equal or greater value than the real thing. As his people, we have the answer. Not because we're anything special or great, but because of the one who is great, the one who is the answer, the one that we know and follow after and seek to represent to the world around us. Because the counterfeit will only amaze and hold people's attention until they encounter what is real and true and better, the kingdom of God. If we think about you know, counterfeit money, for example, I'm sure we've all seen those shows or movies that have you know, clever plots and counterfeit checks. I think it's Catch Me If You Can is one of them. But the counterfeit money, counterfeits only exist as copies of the real thing. So if we're walking along down the street and we just happen to, to notice that there's a, a purple note with the number 1,000 on it, looks like money, we wouldn't be interested in it, wouldn't capture our attention, would it? Because there's no $1,000 purple note in our currency, the last time I checked anyway. <laughs> so it's, it's, not, it's not a counterfeit, it's not a copy of the real thing, so it's not going to hold our attention. Whereas if we're walking along the street and we just happen to see out of the corner of our eye a nice green-looking bill with the number 100 on it, that might cause us to just sit up and take notice a little bit. A $100 note, I can't remember the last time I had one of them in my wallet. They're not that common. But if we saw that, we'd go, oh, is that because it's a count- even if it's counterfeit, it's- there's a real $100 note. Does that make sense? It's a copy of something that is real. The counterfeit will only amaze and hold people's attention until they see the real thing. And it's like if you pick up a counterfeit note, it's like, oh, this is great, a $100 note. And then you realize, actually, it's counterfeit. It has no value. It has no worth. You'll be disappointed. And then if you, if you happen to grab the real thing, you get given a $100 bill, that's going to be something that you know, causes joy, celebration. I believe for us, as his people, there is a call for authenticity, for the real deal to be on display in our lives. I believe Philip knew that, and he headed into Samaria, steadfast to God's call and mission, but to proclaim the truth and to live his life with the real deal on display. Philip proclaimed to them the Christ. He proclaimed to them the good news of the kingdoms. It says in verse 12, he proclaimed to them the name of Jesus Christ. He wasn't trying to bring a self-help message. He wasn't trying to show off. He wasn't worried about what Simon the sorcerer was doing. He just had the truth about Jesus on display. People could see the real deal. 
No longer did the counterfeit amaze them and hold their attention, but they were amazed by Jesus and his kingdom at work, God's kingdom at work in their midst. I pray our hearts would be stirred today as this world desperately needs to see the real deal, desperately needs to encounter the living God and see a demonstration of his power. In verse 11, it says that for a long time, he had amazed them. For a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. For a long time, he had captured their focus. For a long time, he held their attention. The counterfeit had held their attention. Do you ever feel discouraged at times? It's almost like for a long time, people have been indifferent to God in this region. Perhaps you've been discouraged that for a long time, an ideology has seemed to have taken root and taken hold. Maybe it's for a long time a family member has walked away and there doesn't seem to be any breakthrough or way forward, walked away from the Lord. Maybe it's for a long time it seems as though there hasn't been much renewal or revival. For a long time it can become entrenched, it can be hold our attention. But you know, even in this place, God breaks through. Even though the counterfeit had held their attention for a long time, that it caused them to be amazed for a long time, God broke through, even in a situation such as as the one we read this morning. And you know, he is the one who is able to break through today in our city, in our region, in our lives, in our families, to work in and through us to see chains broken, to see lives restored, to see people saved. There was something about the manner of Philip's life. As I touched on earlier, the qualities that were described, used to describe him in Acts chapter 6. He, was, he had integrity and character, good repute. He was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. I imagine him being one of those guys that just oozed Jesus, you know, the love of God out of him. There was something about the manner of Philip's life. There was something about the manner of the message that he proclaimed, the good news of Jesus that caused the people of Samaria to sit up and take notice. Even after a long time of being amazed by the counterfeit, by that which was not life-giving or true or freeing or hope, there was something about Philip's life and the message that he proclaimed that caused people to sit up and take notice. And for us, there should be something about the manner of our lives, about how we present and display Jesus, the real deal, to those around us. We're called to shine like lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Not shrinking back, not just fitting in. The Bible never talks about just fitting in, but we're called to be set apart. Not called to allow the prevailing ideology or culture to hold our attention, to discourage us or even shape our views around what is normal, but rather as his called out ones, living lives with Jesus on full display, declaring his truth and asking that his spirit would cause us to be bold and, to, and would work through us to see the kingdom of God advance and take back ground from the enemy. That's what we see in the life of Philip. I pray that that is what we would be marked by today. Finally this morning, 
How do we as his people contribute to the church moving forward, the kingdom advancing, all those things? We live led by the Spirit. We look at this account of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It's, I mean, I'm surprised someone hasn't made a movie out of this stuff. It's, you know, it's epic, braving the desert and running after a chariot and jumping on, you know, just the right place at the right time. But we know that he was led by the Spirit. Romans 8.14 says that those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. It's God's heart to lead us. But there is a response involved as well, an action involved on our part as we listen to the leading of the Lord. And I read this and I kind of think that it would have been easy for Philip to sort of be like, really, really God, I'm, I'm just starting to make some good headway here in Samaria. I'm just starting to see some real fruit here. You want me to go down there? Really? The south Road, there's desert down there. That's going to be uncomfortable. That's going to be way out. That doesn't sound you know, very logical to me. But what, what do we read? The angel of the Lord says, rise and go. And in verse 27, he rose and went. Further down, the Spirit said to him, yep, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and joined the chariot. And the eunuch's reading scripture, and Philip began with that reference point that he had. And he just went from there, opening his mouth and proclaiming the good news about Jesus through the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in our lives, as we're seeking to be led by the Spirit, of course, he leads us through his word, but he also leads us through speaking to us, the unction that comes upon our hearts. And there are times when we can wrestle with that in our minds, aren't there? Oh, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't sound logical, but you never know what God will do, how he will work through the response of his people to his leading. It's a quote by my friend Andrew Scarborough. He says, God is responsible for the outcome of our obedience. That as we follow his leading, he's the one that will do what he desires to do. And so there's this tension of the wrestle, right? The wrestle of, oh, this doesn't make sense. But there's also a trap we can fall into to think that we can have it all figured out. We've been a Christian for a long time. This is how things work. This is how God has worked in the past. And I think there's lots of places in Scripture we could look at as examples of this. But perhaps one of the clearest examples of this is in 2 Samuel 5 with King David. <clears throat> and uh, the Philistines have come up for battle against him. And David's there and he inquires of the Lord. Like, shall I go up against these Philistines? Shall I go up and, you know, will you give them into my hand? And the Lord says, yep, you have to go up and I'm going to give you the victory. So he goes up. The victory occurs. He calls that place Baal Peretzim, the Lord of bursting through, the God of breakthrough, because he sees the Lord bring about a great victory. And then just a few verses later, we see the same situation. The Philistines come up again in the valley of Rephaim, the same place, the same situation, the same enemy. <clears throat> and it would have been easy for David at that point to just go, we've got this. I went up before just as the Lord said. So this is how breakthrough happened before. We know, I know this is how God works, so let's just go up. But he inquires of the Lord. He says, Lord, 
Shall I go up against them as before? And the Lord says, no, no, this is the strategy for this time. Go around and the Lord set an ambush and brought about a victory again. But the point is, is that David inquired of the Lord. He didn't just get into that pattern of, well, this is how God works. This has happened before. He had a soft heart and was led by the Spirit of the Lord. He didn't just presume. So will we be a people like Philip, like David, using that example, who would intentionally be led by the Spirit and who would respond to the leading of the Lord in our lives? He desires to lead us, but will we respond and will we listen? He desires to lead us, often for our good, yes, but ultimately for his glory, to see the name of Jesus exalted and to see real fruit and a harvest there. Can I get the worship team back up at this point, please? So quite an amazing account, an amazing man that Philip was. And the story just ends abruptly. He's just taken away by the Lord. We don't hear of him again until about 20 years later in Acts chapter 21. where We read that Paul goes to, to stay with him. And at that point he's, he's called Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. And we learn that he's got four Unmarried daughters who all prophesy. And he's still in Caesarea where he ends up here at the end of chapter 8. He's still known as the evangelist. He's been raising his family. Continued to be led by the Spirit in that place. Preaching the gospel. So for us this morning, I really pray that the Lord would, would stir our hearts with how the early church was a church that moved forward and was advancing and taking back ground from the enemy. That the Lord would stir our hearts that we would be a people who grab hold of that, who contribute to what the Lord is wanting to do, who remain steadfast and faithful to God's call and mission, wherever it is that you find yourselves. We find ourselves right now. That we would live authentically with, with Jesus on display the way that we live and speak and act and what we proclaim. And that we would be led by the Spirit. Because I believe if, if we can grab hold of this, if we can live our lives in this kind of way, that there's no telling what the Lord is wanting to do through His people. To bring about His purposes. To see His kingdom continue to advance and move forward take back ground from the enemy. Would you stand this morning? I just want to leave a little bit of space here at the end, if that's okay. Band's just gonna just play and sing some stuff over us. Because we can read through scripture, we can hear a message. It's easy just to kind of go and oh that was good and and head off. But there are times I believe where the Lord is 
just wanting to touch our hearts. And it's important that we respond in some way, whether that's just right there in your seats, whether it's to come forward for prayer. In fact, I might just invite the prayer team forward this morning. If, if you can make your way forward, that would be wonderful. Thank you. I invite you just to perhaps close your eyes. You might like to open up your hands if you feel comfortable. It's just a sign of surrender, receiving from the Lord. I invite you to come this morning, Holy Spirit. Come and touch our hearts afresh. Lord, we don't just want to do church or go through the motions with you, God, in our lives. I pray even today that, God, you would strengthen our resolve to live lives of faithfulness and steadfastness to your call and your mission, Lord. Pray that, Lord, we would set our hearts to live authentic lives of faith with you, Jesus, with the real deal on display, Lord God. I pray that you would touch our hearts, that, Lord, we would live led by your Spirit in the little things, Lord, and the big things, in the big decisions, in the big things that are facing us, but also just a little day today. May we learn, Lord, to be in step with your Spirit. And I feel to pray as well today that, Lord, you would stir up a fresh passion in our hearts for you. That God, there are so many things that can hold our attention and amaze us. But Lord, may the thing that holds our attention and captures our hearts most of all be you, Lord Jesus. That's you this morning. If you feel you're in a place where you're like, maybe just that passion seems to have grown dim a little bit. That passion for the Lord. And you desire that to, to change today. Just you might like to put your hand upon your heart. So I believe as we we have a fresh passion stirred, a fresh love for Jesus that actually helps and enables us to be steadfast and faithful, to live lives that really reflect Him and display Jesus and led by the Spirit. So this morning, I pray for each and every person for whom this applies, 
that God, you would just come by your Spirit and rest upon us. Stir up a fresh passion for Jesus. Capture our hearts afresh today, Lord God. We don't want to be ho-hum about it. We don't want to be indifferent, Lord. We want to know you more. Walk in your ways. Lord, would you work in us and through us so that many would see and know you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. So let me encourage you this morning, just as the worship team sings over us. There's no need to rush off if you feel like you'd like prayer, particularly for those things, just that the Lord to stir a fresh passion in your heart, fresh love for you. And leave this place the same. Come and receive prayer. And also just from earlier in the service, that sense of just fresh joy, needing fresh joy. Um, love to just invite you to come and receive prayer for that. God bless you this week. So glad that you joined us here this morning. And of course, we have the prophetic sessions just out in the, the uh, main hall, the cafe area. Uh, starting just pretty much now in the next few minutes so I invite you to, to take up that opportunity as well God bless you this week look forward to gathering again uh, next Sunday